Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. Welcome to the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway, where you'll learn the keys to building a profitable speaking business from speaking industry pros. Each week, we interview a great guest who will share his or her speaking journey, identify what their keys to success have been, and highlight some critical mistakes they've made along the way that you'll want to avoid. Be sure to visit our website at spotlightonspeaking.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet this week's guest. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. I am your host, and I'm excited to be with you here today on the first episode of a new year, 2024. So thank you for joining me today, and I'm going to switch it up a little bit today. Normally, I interview other speakers about their speaking journey, obviously, tips for success, mistakes to avoid, etc. But today, I'm going to basically interview myself. So I want to tell a little bit more about my story. Now, if you've ever heard me on another podcast, you may have heard some of the stories that I tell and my background and all that. But I don't think I've ever shared it here on the Spotlight on Speaking show. So again, I wanted to kick off this year with something a little bit different. And it all began, honestly, way back in... Gosh, in the early 80s, my first job out of college was working for a guy who had an industrial training company. And my first actual job was getting on the phone and cold calling military bases and power plants and manufacturing facilities to sell our industrial training classes. So I was cutting my teeth in the, in the selling world over 40 years ago. And despite my, <laughs> my believed lack of sales ability, I did manage to help grow that company to several million dollars. But come moving on into the mid-90s, the company decided it wanted to put together a multimedia product. So I identified something I thought would make a good training DVD, CD-ROM, and it was on roller-bearing troubleshooting. And so we developed that CD, but I knew that one product would not a company make. And we had decided to sell it online. So I went out and made deals with various technical book publishers, other training companies that have multimedia products, etc. And I actually put up the first portal website in the plant engineering and maintenance industry back in 1995. It was called maintenanceresources.com. And as a result of selling products online for the first time, I had to develop fulfillment processes. I mean, in other words, how are you going to get your product packaged up and shipped out to the end customer? Well, around the same time that I was putting up that first website in the plant engineering and maintenance industry, a colleague called me up and asked me if I would handle the back sales table at his first internet marketing conference. Now, I met this guy at a a Hurricane Andrews seminar in the early 90s, and that led to a joint venture where I took over his hard-to-find classic marketing book catalog and put it online. But because of that relationship, He called me up and asked me if I would handle the back sales table for him at his event. 
Now, I honestly didn't even know what backroom sales meant at the time, but I hadn't been to Las Vegas before, so it sounded good to me, so I said, sure, I'm in. And I remember that first event well. It was at the old Las Vegas Hilton, and the promoter was a guy named Carl Galletti, and it was my first foray into the world of speaking, aside from being an attendee at a few events. Well, that first event led to basically a side business where over the course of the next 15 years, I provided the crew, and more importantly, in many cases, I provided the merchant account that could handle a lot of money in a short period of time. I mean, I'm talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, and we take care of paying the speaker, paying the promoter, and then we take a cut of the promoter's portion for managing the back sales table. Well, as a result of doing that particular service, I got to know a lot of the speakers in the internet and information marketing spaces very well 20-plus years ago. And when they found out that I was doing product fulfillment for my own websites, they cornered me at an event. I think it was Jim Edwards that did it at an event like in 2002 or 2003 and said, hey, Brett, will you take over some fulfillment for me? I don't really want to do it. And you seem to have those processes in place. So I had been thinking about it for a while. And so with a business partner, we put together a company called Speaker Fulfillment Services back in 2003. And we were blessed to work with many of the biggest names in the industry, folks like Russell Brunson and John Asaraf, Alex Mondozian, Armin Morn, Joe Bauer, uh, Suzanne Evans, Wendy Lipton-Dibner, and others. And so I kind of had a unique perspective on the industry, both between being in the back of the room at these live events, as well as being the fulfillment partner for many of these big speakers. And I was always happy being the behind-the-scenes guy, honestly, for a long time because I'm a bit of a natural introvert, and I definitely have to get into a game mode, so to speak, when I'm going to be speaking. But so I was, again, behind the scenes for a number of years, and then about, oh gosh, 8, 10, 12 years ago, I don't remember exactly, you know, I decided, you know, Brett, you need to get over that introverted nature and get up in the front of the room yourself and share some of what you've learned along the way. So I started speaking about oh, 10, again, 10 years ago, and I was always doing what I call business building speaking. So in other words, it would share some content, and then hopefully the audience, somebody there would have a need for the services that Speaker Fulfillment Services provided. And I spoke at, you know, several dozen events and all that. And it did lead to new clients, certainly, but it was a content-only type thing. I was the buffer between the speaker selling from the platform during the course of a, a three- or four-day event, typically. Now, about a year and a half, two years ago, decided to part ways with the fulfillment company that I had founded and brand myself for the first time. So now I'm doing some training and consulting on launching a speaking career, Started this podcast, obviously. Started a LinkedIn newsletter, also called Spotlight on Speaking. And today, I just want to share some of the, the tips that I maybe have shared on other podcasts along the way, but haven't again shared on this one. And so let's talk about the speaking industry. And there'll be some platform selling specific tips, certainly, but some of the things will definitely apply to any type of speaker. Now, what I mean any type of speaker. In my mind, there are three primary type of speakers. The first is what I call the keynote presenter, and they're obviously the person paid to come in and deliver to an association or a corporation a talk. Could be 30, 60, 90 minutes, a half day, whatever it may be. But they're paid a fee 
for being there. The second type of speaker is what I call the platform seller. And that's the world that I primarily come out of because the events I was involved in were primarily based on information marketing and internet marketing. And the platform seller obviously delivers content and then makes an offer for some type of continuing education. And then the third type of speaker is what I call the business builder speaker. And in my honest opinion, every business person should be at a minimum a business builder speaker. You need to be speaking to local groups like Rotaries, Kiwanis, Chambers of Commerce, whatever it may be, offering content, adding value. And then the goal, obviously, is when somebody has a need for your particular type of service, I mean, you could be a plumber, a financial planner, uh, insurance agent, whatever it may be. But when they have a need for your particular type of service, they reach out to you because you've established it yourself as the expert in your local area. So again, you got keynote speaker, platform seller, and business builder speaker. Now, there are speakers who have mastered being in both the keynote and platform selling world. A great example of this is a lady named Elizabeth McCormick, and I would encourage you to check out episode number 48 of the podcast to hear what Elizabeth has to say about how she's married those two worlds together. But one of your first decisions to make as a speaker is what type of speaker do you want to be? Am I going to try to marry those two together? Am I going to do all three? What am I going to focus my efforts on? And there certainly is no right answer. Only you can decide which niche fits you the best. But again, so you got platform sellers, you got keynoters, and you got business builder speakers. Now, I will tell you that as a speaker, your absolute number one asset is what I would say is relationships. It's the people you know and the people that know you, like you, and trust you, that will truly drive your speaking business. You've got to be seen out there, folks. You've got to be on podcasts. You've got to be at networking events. There are some great networking events for speakers out there, Speakers Playhouse, International Speakers Network. Uh, Steve Erickson has one. I mean, there's, there's just a number of avenues where you can get out there and, and share what it is, what you do, what you're looking for, etc. Now, I will tell you that you truly have to nurture those relationships. You cannot go into it with a what's-in-it-for-me standpoint, viewpoint, because they'll see right through you, and you won't get the results you want. you got to figure out what you're going to do to add value first to somebody else's world, and then it will, over time, come back to you tenfold, but it's not an immediate payback thing in most cases. And you've got to, again, nurture those relationships, and you can't be afraid to take things offline also. I mean, I'm a big believer in, in personal note cards. So if somebody's a guest on my podcast or I'm a guest on their podcast or they've done something nice for me or whatever, then I send them a personal handwritten thank you note. And I will tell you that it's remembered. You would definitely stand out from the crowd. I keep them. I mean... Here's a wonderful note I got from a, a lady whose podcast I appeared on. I mean, I, you hang on to those things. So, again, don't be afraid to go offline and nurture those relationships. Now, you will, you need to know that relationships are critical and can truly help you grow your business, but they can also truly kill your business if you don't manage them properly. You know, when you're a speaker, essentially you're creating a speaker brand. 
And, but you got to remember that your brand is not just a logo. It's just not a website or whatever. Your brand is everything associated with your customer's experience with you. Let me tell you a story. A few years ago, I was having lunch with a colleague, and he was in the financial services sector, and he had developed a list of like 55,000 people. It was a sizable list. And he had created this brand with them and communicated with them via email and all that. So they had a certain expectation from him of what type of communication they were going to receive. Well, he decided that he was going to bring in an internet guru to help him out with his business. And so they crafted a hard-hitting, hard-selling email that went out to his list, and it started to happen immediately. Unsubscribe, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. When all was said and done, a list that had been 55,000 people was a list of just 5,000 people. He killed his list because he wasn't consistent with his brand. He had a relationship established with these with these subscribers. They had an expectation from him, and the message that went out was totally polar opposite of what they were used to ex receiving from him. So you got to be very careful about those relationships, managing your brand, and nurturing those relationships appropriately. And I will tell you that several years ago, I co-wrote a book with a couple guys called Mistakes Authors Make, and you see it on the shelf behind me there. And we decided that we were going to drive this book, if possible, to a number one bestseller on Amazon. And we put it out there because we decided we would do it at a live event. So it was either going to be major egg on our face or it was going to be successful. Well, because of the people that I knew in the industry, relationships that had been established over the course of 15, 20 years or whatever, and a number of people that were more than willing to help me promote that particular activity. And obviously, we got the audience involved and all that also. But it truly was because of relationships that we were able to be successful and make that book an Amazon number one bestseller at the time. So relationships, again, number one business asset. Now, one of the things that I think most speakers are terribly weak on is doing their homework in advance of an event. In other words... Who's going to be in your audience? Because the more that you can craft your particular talk to truly address the pain points of that crowd, then the more success you're going to have. And if you're selling from the platform in that situation, you're far more likely to have success because you've truly addressed their pain points. But it takes a little bit of work to figure out what those pain points are. So you need to look at the demographics of the audience. Are they men? Are they women? What's their educational level? Have you spoken to that crowd before? I mean, if it's a keynote speech, who's going to be in the crowd? Who are the movers and shakers from that company or association that are going to be there that you can truly integrate into the, the process somehow so that your message really, really hits home? So you got to do your homework. you got to take the time. Now, if it's an event that you're going to that has been put on previously, the event promoter ought to be able to share with you what's worked best for them, particularly if you're in a platform selling situation. I mean, what price points have worked the best, what topics have worked the best. You've got to do your homework in terms of what other speakers are going to be on that platform. What are they selling? What are their price points? I mean, all that takes a little bit of work, but you'll have far greater success if you do that homework in advance. Another thing I think that speakers are fairly weak on is controlling their speaking environment. 
Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if you want your message to really hit home with your audience, then you've got to avoid the distractions that can create problems for you. And that could be any number of things. So, first of all, if you're going to an event, you need to be there well ahead of your speaking time. I mean, I hate hit-and-run speakers. The guys or gals that swoop in, you know, 10 minutes before their talk, and they're out the door as soon as they're done. I mean, if you really want to achieve success in this industry, you've got to invest the time and in get into know the audience, to spend some time there, to be available before and after your talk. I mean, a lot of the selling success is going to be based on the work you've done at the event before you even got on the stage. And remember that your speaking essentially starts the moment you walk into a hotel. I mean, if you walk in and you're rude to a, a clerk or something, somebody will see that and word will spread and your reputation will be ruined. You've got to remember that your chance to build that rapport starts second you walk in that door and runs until the time that you leave. And, of course, you need to follow up with attendees as appropriate after the event. But you've got to control that speaking environment. And that includes things like, the, you know, the lighting you may have not have much control over, but the audio. Get in there in time to be able to do an audio check ahead of time. Check that stage out. Are there dead spots you want to avoid or spots that create that nasty screech that just drives the audience crazy? You've got to think about things, even simple things like if the doors in the back of the room clang shut every time somebody comes in or out, that's a distraction. Everybody's turning and looking to see, well, who's coming in or who's coming out. So, you know, take the, the push bar shut or Throw a towel over the door to cushion the saw, the blow or whatever so that's not so distracting. I mean, your introduction is something that you control. So, yes, you should write it in advance for whoever's going to be introducing you. And only you can decide if a video introduction is the way you want to go. But control that introduction. Now, will the promoter or whoever's emceeing you know, read it 100% of the time, 100% of the way that you wrote it? No. But if you just let them wing it, then you're not setting up the audience as well as you could. Now, you know, room temperature, again, is something you may or may not be able to have much control over. But you've got to control what you can control to increase your opportunities for success. Now, any talk that you develop needs to be what I would call flexible or modular in nature. I've gone into events where... A speaker literally, literally ran 30 minutes over their scheduled time frame. Well, that threw the whole time schedule of the event off. So the event promoter had to go to the next speaker and say, hey, you know, can you help us make up a little bit of time here? Well, if that next speaker is you, then maybe you only have 45 minutes now instead of an hour or 30 instead of an hour or whatever. So you've got to know in advance how you're going to adjust your talk to fill the time frame that you now have. It could be a longer time frame, could be a shorter time frame, but what are you going to add or subtract from your particular talk in order to help that promoter out? Now, in addition to a, a modular poor speech or signature talk, as others would call it, you also should have, in my opinion, what I call a, a back pocket talk. Now, what do I mean by that? I was at an event several years ago and standing out in front of the hotel during a break or whatever, and suddenly an ambulance pulled up 
and loaded somebody into the back and, and headed off to the hospital. Now, as it turned out, that particular person was scheduled to be the very next speaker on the agenda at that event. Now, he turned, you know, he everything's fine now. He turned out okay or whatever. But I could see the event promoter at the time literally over on the side in a state of panic. It's like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I can't do a dog and pony show for 90 minutes or however that long that scheduled time was. I, I'm not a very good tap dancer or whatever. So that's where you as a speaker can be the knight in shining armor, so to speak, for that event promoter. If you have a second talk, a back pocket speech, I call it, that you're able to deliver on a moment's notice, obviously it still needs to be appropriate to the pain points of that audience. But if you can step in and help that promoter out, number one, it's going to make you a hero in the minds of the promoter so when they're planning their next event, who are they most likely to think of to bring back to the platform? Well, if you've done a good job on your talks, obviously, it's going to be you. But even more importantly, it's going to give you more face time with that audience, more of a chance to truly build rapport, and if you're going to sell from the platform, again, you should have greater success because you're the one that had more time with that audience. So, have that back pocket speech ready and make sure that it's something you're prepared to deliver. Now, you may never use it, but wouldn't it be nice to be the one who's able to take advantage of that opportunity rather than watch it go by because you weren't prepared? Now, got a couple specific points I want to talk about in relationship to platform selling because that, again, is a world that I primarily come out of. But... One of the biggest mistakes I ever saw a speaker make, and it was at an event, gosh, maybe 10 years ago or whatever. It was in Atlanta, I think, and we were handling the back sales table. And the speaker delivered that presentation and had the true speaker's dream, the true table rush. I mean, people were literally at the back table throwing their credit cards at us. And when all was said and done, the speaker had generated $375,000 worth of sales. Now, you say, well, that's great, man. I would love to do that. I mean, we'd all, we all would love to do that. Well, what was not so great that was within the next 30 days, every single penny of that $375,000 had to be refunded to the attendees. Well, you say, well, you know, why was that? Well, as it turned out, the speaker, what he sold from the platform was some type of website development tool. And as it turned out, it had a, some kind of bug in it that they could never figure out. So, again, every single penny had to be refunded. Not only was it a major embarrassment for the speaker, it was a major hit to the pocketbook of the event promoter. And honestly, it didn't do my pocketbook any good any, any, any good either because we take a cut of the promoter's money for providing that particular service. So the lesson there was if you're going to sell from the platform – then make sure that what you're selling, you're prepared to deliver. It's ready to go. Now, I mean, you can sell a future training, obviously, but if you're delivering something that has to work right away because they bought it or it's something that you promised a specific delivery date on, then you need to be prepared to deliver what you promised. Another time was handling an event up in Vancouver, and the speaker was selling some training that was going to be ready within two weeks. Well, they sold very well. I mean, not $375,000 worth, but about 40000 so nothing to sneeze at. And 
whatever for whatever reason, two weeks turned into three, turned into four, turned into six, and they could not deliver on the timeline that had been promised. So again, every single penny of $40,000 had to go back to the attendees. So make sure if you're going to sell from the platform, it's something that you're truly prepared to deliver. Now, another mistake I saw a speaker make one time was they were doing a new product launch, and we'd handled several product launches through the, our fulfillment company for them in the past, and they'd always done several hundred thousand dollars. And so they launched this product, opened their shopping cart, and sales started to come in. It was looking good. You know, they were getting close to $100,000 real quick or whatever. Then all of a sudden, bam, their shopping cart got shut off. Well, they had neglected to call their merchant account provider and say, hey, we're doing a new product launch. We're going to be running more through the account than normal. Just wanted to make you aware. And the merchant account providers are fine with that if they know in advance what's going on. But because they didn't know what was going on, and you suddenly see this massive spike in sales without warning, it's a major red flag to them. And so they shut this guy's account down. And I would estimate that he lost out on oh, three or $400,000 worth of sales simply because he had neglected to pick up the phone and let the merchant account provider know what was happening. Now, if you're a speaker and you're going to be going into an event and you're going to be selling from the platform and you expect to sell 50 or 100 or, or whatever, and you're going to be processing your own sales at that event, then you got to let people, you got to let them know what's going on because they see that sudden spike from you without warning. It could create major issues for you. So, obviously, and I have one more point I want to make about platform selling, and and this really applies to basically any type of speaker, whether it's keynote, platform seller, or business builder. But are you getting on the right stages? Several years ago, I was at an event in Vegas, and for whatever reason, the event promoter was all about getting the big names on the stage. There was no thought given to curriculum or, or piecing things together in a congruent manner. It was just, how many big names can I get in here? With the thought being, obviously, that those big names would hopefully attract people to the event. Well, as it turned out, this event promoter had three separate speakers, all on the subject of copywriting. Now, while copywriting is a very important subject, by the time they got to that third speaker, the audience was like, oh, you know, been there, heard that, totally tuned out. That speaker's chance of selling anything from the platform was about zero. If he had done his homework, and we talked about homework earlier, in advance, he would have found out what the other speakers were talking about. And, excuse me. Again, he would have found out what the other speakers were talking about, and maybe he would have decided, well, this event isn't right for me because I'm not really going to have a chance for to sell because I'm the third one on that same topic. Maybe he could have come up with a different topic that could still fit or whatever, that back pocket speech that we talked about. But it's very critical, again, that you do that homework in advance and you make sure that you're getting on the right stages. So, again, those three primary tips are make sure you're if you're selling from the platform that the product is something you're ready to deliver. Number two is make sure that if you're going to be selling from the platform and you got a big event coming up, that if you're the one processing your own sales at that event, your merchant account, your, your merchant account provider is aware of it. And then finally, make sure you're getting on the right stages because – but, you know, you spend your own time and money to go to an event, and you're the third topic, 
or the third speaker on the same topic, then, you know, that would really suck. So, again, that's, so that's a little bit more about my speaking journey and some of the things that I've seen and mistakes I would highly encourage you to avoid. But uh, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Spotlight Speaking Show. May 2024 be your greatest year yet. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. This has been the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. Be sure to join us every week as we interview speaking industry pros and have them share their best tips for building a profitable speaking business. Until next week, thank you for tuning in. And remember to visit our website at SpotlightOnSpeaking.com so you can enjoy even more great episodes like this one. While you're here, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Spotlight on Speaking Show. Until then, our sincere best wishes to you for the greatest of success as you work to build your own profitable speaking business.